Matthew 11, we'll begin at verse 20. It is a joy for me to be able to say, open your Bible, to be able to share with you from God's Word, to know that we have a Bible that we can read, an English Bible, a a, a Bible in our language, in our tongue that we can understand, faithfully translated and preserved for us by the Lord all these years. Men went to prison and died to translate the Bible into various languages, ours. And we will not uh, forget their great uh, work. Let us read now God's Word, penned by prophets and apostles. We're going to eventually get down to verse 28, our great text. And the title of the message is, The Sweet Gospel Word, Come. The Sweet Gospel Word, Come. Spoken by Jesus in verse 28. He tells us where to come. Come unto me, he says. We'll get there. It may take us a week or two. So we're going to begin at verse 20 and find the context of where this sweet gospel word spoken by Jesus comes in and the flow of the narrative before and after. Let's begin at verse 20 now. Please pray for me as I am a man, a mere man, a flawed man, a sinful man, a man prone to error. And I will pray for you. You're all those things too, aren't you? Flawed, fallible, easily distracted, prone to err, prone to conclude wrongly, prone to not hear carefully. So hear now today God's word. I'm reading Matthew eleven twenty. Then began he to upbraid or denounce the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knows any man the Father except the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son chooses to reveal him. Come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And all God's people said, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. So as we look at this passage, Jesus has been preaching for a while. Matthew 4 says, then he began to preach the gospel, but here he begins to do something different. He begins to denounce the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. And he mentions Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. These three cities close together at the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it was in these three, in particular in Capernaum, where Jesus did most of his miracles. And Jesus says to them, if Tyre and Sidon, these wicked cities that God judged in the book of Ezekiel, for instance, these Mediterranean coastal towns right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, if they had seen what you have seen, they would have repented a long time ago with sackcloth and ashes. But you saw, and you shrugged your shoulders, and you yawned, and you did not repent. And on the day of judgment, the wicked cities of Tyre and Sidon are going to be better off than you will be. And then he mentions the worst city of all cities, Sodom, the capital city of sin, the city of great wickedness, the city that was so vile God burned it off the map, overthrew it with a great overthrow. It's held up in the Bible over and over again at least 20 times as an example of God's judgment. Those who live like Sodom, believe like Sodom, and act like Sodom, God will judge. He mentions the judgment of Sodom over and over again. He says, if Sodom, that city, had seen Capernaum, what you have seen, Sodom would have still existed until this very day. They would have repented. Can you imagine walking down the dusty lanes of Tyre and Sidon and Capernaum, or excuse me, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, these cities where Jesus walked, where Jesus spoke and taught and preached, where Jesus did, verse 20 says, most, not all, but most of his mighty works were done in these three cities. And the people still didn't turn to God. Have you ever heard people say, oh, if God would just do some miracles, he'd get people's attention. They'd believe then. This passage says miracles don't persuade people. If they won't believe the prophets and what Moses said, they won't even believe if one rises from the dead. Luke 16 says that. If you won't believe the scriptures, you won't believe any miracle. Miracles did get people's attention. Jesus did many miracles. It did verify who he was. They said, we've never seen like this. 
We've never seen one command the wind to stop blowing. We've never seen one make demons run with just a word. We've never seen people go toward lepers. We see people running away from lepers. Jesus goes towards the lepers and touches them and says, be clean. And leprosy is instantly cleansed. We've never seen this. Those miracles verified he was indeed the Messiah, the son of the living God. He was God the son in the flesh, God incarnate. And here he is walking the dusty lanes of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum doing mighty works. They heard his sermons, they heard his lessons, and they saw his miracles. And they did not repent. I wonder what God would say today about the United States of America. Have we been given privileges? We have Bibles everywhere. We have churches everywhere. We have gospel opportunities available. And people run right by them bumping them out of the way because they can't be bothered to hear something like eternal things. I have more pressing matters to tend to. I've got to go to my next pleasure, my next possession. I've got to do something that, that I want to do. And I don't have time to consider my soul and my eternal, eternal destiny. And if these three cities are denounced, when Jesus says, woe to a city, woe unto you, Bethsaida, Woe unto you, Chorazin, and and woe unto you, Capernaum. That's not a good thing, is it? Jesus says, blessed are some, and he says, woe to others. These three cities still had not turned to God, though they had received an abundance of truth and an abundance of light. Light shone in the darkness, and they saw the light. And they didn't walk in the light. In fact, they hated the light and they loved their darkness. He says in another place. So when it comes time for judgment day, God is going to judge people based on how much truth and light they had received during their lifetime. I think of people that grew up in the United States of America that have known freedom our whole lives. We've never been prevented from going and sitting in a chapel and hearing the gospel, going and buying a Bible or buying six or seven Bibles and Christian books and commentaries. The gospel is available. The Bible is available. The chapels are open. The broadcast, the airwaves are full of the gospel all across the land. What will it be on the day of judgment when millions of Americans stand there and God will say, you had an abundance of light, an abundance of the truth, and you did not repent. They will be sorely judged. It will be more tolerable, Jesus said. So I take it that there's a judgment that all men will face, and some will face a stricter judgment. It will be more lenient to some, more tolerable for Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, because they didn't have the light and the truth and the opportunities that Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum had. People waited for the Messiah for centuries. They read the scriptures and they said, he's coming. He's coming. And the people said to themselves, oh, that I could see his come, coming. Oh, that I could see him come. Oh, that he would come during my lifetime. And in the process of time, Jesus comes. 
And he walks into the town of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. And he lingers there. He doesn't just go and do a miracle. It'd be something if he went to Capernaum and did one miracle and said, did you see? He who has eyes to see and who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he went on his way. That'd be a, that'd be a good one. That'd be a plenty, really, if he did one miracle. Verse 20 says, most of his mighty works were done in these three places. Not one miracle, not two or three, dozens of miracles were done in these places. They didn't repent. What does that say about the human heart? What does that say about the the hardness, the impudent, the hard neck, the stiff-necked heart of man? When you can be confronted with the clearest of evidence, the clearest of truth, the very Son of God incarnate, walking in your street, walking to your house, speaking to you, looking in your eyes, raising your fellow citizen from the dead. That evidence cannot be refuted, and yet you see it and still don't repent. What does that say about the fallenness of man? Just how bad off the human heart really is. It takes a miracle, don't it? It takes a miracle to save any sinner. A child, a little child that trusts in Jesus as Savior, that's a divine, glorious miracle. A teenager gets saved, oh, what a miracle that is. A person, an older man or woman, they've lived a long time without him, and just before it's too late, they believe on Jesus. What a miracle that is. What a miracle. A greater miracle than the creation of this universe. The creation of a new heart, a new creature in Christ. So here we have... Jesus speaking about the judgment day, it shall be more tolerable, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, for you on the judgment day. We forget this, and we must not forget it. All of you listen carefully. There's a day of judgment coming. That's not a popular message to preach anymore, is it? Now, if somebody preaches on hell or eternal judgment, they're kind of dismissed as a, well, that's one of them, you know, that's one of them. That's one of them old fire and brimstone preachers. You need to hear fire and brimstone. If you're a Christian, not to threaten you or terrify you about it, but to put a little urgency in your heart about being a witness in this world. And if you don't know him, you should be greatly terrified. And you should tremble where you sit. You should weep before God until... You know for sure that you know before you eat another bite of food, before you lay down for a nap or watch a bit of TV, you ought to settle it in your heart. Where do I stand with the living God? Because there is a real hell and there's a real judgment day coming. And uh, you can't have a big church if you say such things. And that's so right. I want to be us. I want us to be a people that's persuaded by scripture, not popular opinion. Amen? There's, an away, there, there's a way of escape from hell. There's a way to find grace on that judgment day. There's a judgment day coming. God is going to judge the people in Chorazin and the people in Bethsaida and the people 
in Capernaum where Jesus preached more sermons and performed more miracles than any other place. When they rejected him at Nazareth, you know where he made his home base? Capernaum. They led him out to the, he read the synagogue on the Sabbath day, uh, read the scriptures there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they said, what is he saying? They took him out to the edge of the town where there was a cliff and they was going to throw him off the cliff. He says he slipped through their midst. Wasn't time. He wasn't going to die falling off a cliff. He was going to die on a cross. And he wasn't going to die at the hand of an angry mob. He was going to die in submission to the Father. And he slipped right through their midst and they were unable to take him that day. So he leaves Nazareth and he makes his home base in Capernaum. And there Jesus ministers and he lives and he preaches and teaches and heals. If you were to do a little bit of digging, you could find that there were four cities in Galilee. That was when I said the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. The upper part there was called Galilee. The whole region was Galilee and then Samaria and then Judea. There were four main cities up in Galilee, the three we've read about. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Tiberias was the other one. Jesus didn't mention Tiberias here. He pronounces woes upon three of those four. He doesn't say anything about Tiberias. He says, woe unto you, Chorazin, and woe unto you, Bethsaida. And Capernaum, you who are exalted to heaven. I think that was their opinion of themselves. We're exalted to heaven. We're God's favorites. We've got it together. We're something else. We're big, we're big time. Their view was high of themselves. And he says, you who are exalted to heaven, and maybe he meant if that wasn't their view, maybe the phrase implies they had such privileges that they were greatly blessed with his presence. But he says, you who have been so blessed and are exalted are going to be brought down to hell. These three, not Tiberius. Why the three and not the four? What happened? What was the result of his woes? Well, Chorazin and Bethsaida were so completely destroyed that their exact site, their exact location is somewhat fuzzy and unknown. The location of Capernaum is not positive. They were so completely destroyed and wiped out and removed, as it were, dissolved. They were real places, and now we're not even sure where they were. Tiberius still stands. Still a flourishing city to this day. This remarkable fulfillment of the words of Jesus when he says, woe to you, it literally means their ruin. You don't want to hear Jesus say woe, do you? That means eternal ruin. We who have believed on Christ, we have heard the triune God say, blessed are you. Accepted in the beloved are you. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world are you. Redeemed with the precious blood are you. Sealed with the Holy Spirit are you. But when he says, woe, none can undo it. And we see here clear evidence of Jesus' omniscience. And of his deity. Jesus knows all things as the eternal son of God. You cannot say this too often. 
or too emphatically. We have got to be crystal clear on who Jesus is, the person of Christ, the work of Christ. We've got to be clear on the deity of Christ and his full humanity as well. We see here Jesus saying, if Tyre and Sidon and Sodom had seen what you have seen, they would have repented. How did he know that? He knows all things, both actual and potential. He knows what would have happened. They would have repented. Jesus is exercising here his omniscience. He knows something that would have happened that didn't happen, but it would have happened. He knew it, and he knows all things because he is truly the divine son of God. Amen? Amen. Fully God and fully human. Always fully God and at his incarnation, adding to that deity humanity. This is our glorious Lord. Now that raises a few mind-boggling questions too, don't it? How can you be fully God and fully man? How can you have two natures but be one person? How can it sometimes Jesus be so tired he can't hold his eyes open and he goes to sleep on the boat in the storm? Literally exhausted. He was human. His human nature was slap wore out. And then they wake him up and say, we're about to perish. Don't you care? And he says, be still, wind. He is fully man, exhausted. He is fully God, exercising his omnipotence there over the wind and over the sea and over the elements. This is our Lord. This is our Lord. He who made all the creeks and all the springs and all the lakes and all the rivers because he's omnipotent, would say, could I have a drink of the water of the well of Samaria? And who would cry out on the cross, I thirst. He gives us all the water to drink, and he was denied water as his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth as he is bearing the awful scourge of your sin and mine. So we don't fully understand this one that we worship, but we worship him. We know he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was our full representative. He was everything that we're not, and yet he's everything that we are minus sin. He never disobeyed the Father. He never broke the law of God. He never erred. He never swerved out of the right path of obedience, and yet he was our representative In Adam we fail. In the last Adam we are restored. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. So he exercises here his omniscience. He knows what would have been if they had seen what these three cities saw. Tyre and Sidon and Sodom would have repented. And Sodom would still be with us today. think of children who grow up in Christian homes. They're the most blessed of all boys and girls. They hear while they're babies gospel truth. They learn Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. 
little ones. To him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. They learn the gospel in little, little sayings, little songs, little prayers. They're protected by the prayerful hearts and watching eyes of mamas and daddies. And yet, to our utter sadness, we see, don't we, that these who are most blessed and living in a Christian home often grow up and kick and buck and throw it off and run right into the world wide open. They had it. It was right before them. They were untouched. They were unmoved. They were unaffected by these glorious things that were so part of their everyday life that they took it lightly. They took it for granted. And that's sad. And yet God still may do something in their lives. We don't give up. Because if God blessed that home with that child, I believe he had a good plan and has a good plan for that child. And the best plan, of course, is eternal salvation. So maybe yet, mama, daddy, grandmama, granddaddy, don't lose heart, don't give up, keep praying. We had one this morning say, pray for my children and pray for my grandchildren. And that ought to be always on our hearts. These who see and hear great things, been in church all their lives, have a Bible read to them, know the Bible stories, know the Bible doctrines. And yet, Jesus is nothing. Jesus is very little to them. Pray that God would change that. Amen. Let's pray that God would change that. Turn back just a chapter or two to Matthew 10 and look what he says. He sends out those that he's chosen. He sends them out. He says, go and preach the gospel. This is Matthew 10. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. They went in Jesus' name. They went with Jesus' authority. And he says, when you go into a town... Ask who in it is godly and stay with them. And let your peace, come, pronounce peace upon them. And if they won't listen to you in that city, this is verse 14. If they won't hear your words, Matthew 10, 14. When you leave that city or that house, shake the dust off your feet. Verse 15, verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. There he says almost a similar thing that we see in Matthew 11. I send my messengers out. I send my servants out. I send my ministers out. I give them my authority and my message. And I want you to go to every city and as you go, find who's godly and stay with them and pronounce your peace upon them when they welcome you in. And if that city will not hear your words, shake the dust off your sandals and go to the next city. And they hadn't rejected you. They've rejected me and my message. And it will not go well for them on the day of judgment. In fact, he says it'll be more tolerable there for Sodom and Gomorrah than for any city that would not hear his servant or his servants. So be sure you learn the discipline of hearing God's word carefully. Read it carefully. We talked about that last week, 
Have you not read? Jesus said. And keep reading. Read the scriptures. Acquaint yourself with his ways. There's a day of judgment coming. God will hold accountable all men and women and boys and girls for the things that they know and for the light that they had. Turn to Luke chapter 12, one other passage. I'm going to close now. I went a little long last week, and I'm a little long today, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Luke 12, verse 47, 46, Luke 12, 46. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him into and will point him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. To whom much is given, much will be required. The one who had little knowledge and little truth, they won't have as much required of them. I think today where we have a Bible that's complete, we have the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and Son into this world, sent to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. All men are without excuse. All are without excuse. Brothers and sisters, go forth into this world. Let's stand. Go forth into this world with the gospel on your lips because you're going into a world that's doomed. This world is doomed. Amen? It is condemned before God. It is condemned already because it has not believed on the name of Jesus. This world has seen 2,000 years of church preservation. There's still a church. How is that possible? God preserves his church. There's a Bible that still exists that's the bestseller that's gone th- throughout the whole world that's still being translated and will eventually get to every, every language. How, when men hate it so, when atheists have vowed to wipe it out, how does it still exist? God preserves his word. Go into this world that is doomed Bunyan called it the city of destruction. God has said in his book, he's going to burn this city. And Christian fled out of the city of destruction with a heavy load on his back, headed toward the celestial city, and he finally figured out how to get that heavy load off his back. And we'll talk about that probably next time. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus takes the load off. So in this context of judgment of doom and of ruin, Jesus says, Father, thank you that you've showed to some and you've hid from some. And we'll get to that. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the good attention of this congregation today. Now we're accountable. We've heard your word. And we're blessed. We've heard your word. And we're reminded of a day coming. Now may we live today as stewards of our breath, of the short time that we have in light of that day, as good stewards of time and
talent and resources and spiritual gifts and the things that you have lavished upon us. May we know that it's not ours to hoard. It's not ours to selfishly do with. It's, it's ours to expand the gospel, to press forth the claims of Christ, to build up the church, to further your fame and your name in this world. Oh, Lord, stamp eternity on our eyeballs. May we look and think and conclude and reason as men and women made new in Christ and indwelt by the Spirit. May we not be mere worldlings in our thinking. And may we not be practical atheists in our living. May we ask continually, what would you have me to do? In light of these great opportunities and in light of the sweet gospel word, come unto me. And may we go forth and, and entreat and plead and beseech, as Paul said, we beseech you for Christ's sake. Be reconciled to God. May we go forth and press that gospel claim to every man, woman, boy, and girl we know, the, the drunkard, the whoremonger, the profane and vile-mouthed man or woman. May we go and say, would you come to Jesus? He'll give you rest. He'll take the heavy load of your shame and your guilt, and he'll give you an easy yoke to wear. And he'll yoke up with you. And I pray we'll be faithful stewards of the gospel. And I pray if there's one here even today in this place, a child perhaps, an adult, may the Spirit of God be pleased to blow as he will. And may we see the sound and hear that work of your Spirit working to bring into life a new, a new being, a new birth. Do what you can, alone can do, our Lord. As we preach and pray and love and serve, do, O oh Lord, what we cannot do. We pray for our children, grandchildren. Lord, Lord, please hear our prayer for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.